Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Today's more of a teaching, and we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, I'm teaching a class called Worship and the Integration of Heaven and Earth right now, and so I'm like, and I'm fasting, so it's like, put these two things together, and I'm, I'm like reeled way back in, okay? I think, I think somebody slipped a volume in my coffee here before church because I was too plugged in. But uh, the deal is, is that the Ark of the Covenant, it's, it's, we know it from a worldly sense too. Unfortunately, even a lot of believers, their perception of the Ark of the Covenant comes from Indiana Jones, Right? <laughs> Uh, dun, 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 bum, bum, bum. And the theme music was already playing through your mind. Um, and I love that. So the deal is, though, is that there are, there are a lot of problems with the arc uh, from, from when we see it through Hollywood's filter and through that perspective. We've got to get back to the Word. And even in the Word, it's easy to, uh, especially because we're a New Testament church, it's easy to uh, reduce that to a piece of furniture because of who God is now and who we know Him to be. But there are some really important things that we need to learn about the ark. Uh, and so first and foremost uh, is just what it looked like. Okay, so we have, bring up that first picture. And I think that everybody who even, as soon as I say Ark of the Covenant, this is what your mind goes to, right? Anybody see, yeah, you've seen it, right? Uh, it's the one that, um, that Indiana and the guy like pull up out of the sarcophagus down in the Well of Souls um, in, the, in the first one. That was 1981. And by the way, do not be fooled by the rating on that movie. It says PG, that is not a PG movie. Not a PG movie. Run that by Pastor Kurt, and he'll rate that for you. He's part of our movie rating team here. And uh, that's a ministry that we're missing. So you don't watch that one with your kids. Uh, Might have made that mistake last night. <laughs> I just want to be real with you right now, just full, full transparency. Uh, so I'm like, PG, and my boys are like, PG. We get to watch it too. Wow. Okay. So anyway, that's the arc that you look at, that you that you think of when you look at it. But I want to talk about some problems. First of all, tradition has the orientation wrong. Why? Because this is not just a chest; it's a throne. You see, in ancient times, um, it was not uncommon to have sacred and holy chests, sarcophagus-type uh, pieces that would be carried on poles. In fact, do you have the Egyptian one with Anubis on it? Can you throw that one up? Is that reminiscent of the Ark? That was found in Tutankhamun's tomb. And you can see here that there are some very clear similarities. It's overladen with gold. The poles run through it. There's a, there's a lid. It can be opened. It, it stores things. But what happens is a lot of times when we think about the idea of God, the presence of God, what we reduce it to is what's in it for us. And when we reduce the Ark of the Covenant to a chest that's carried around all we can think about is what's in it for us. What's literally in it for us. So as a chest, 
that can be opened up. And some of you who know your Bibles, you know that there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. There were the tablets of testimony, the Ten Commandments, the second set. By the way, Indiana Jones got that wrong. He thought it was the broken set. But the uh, second set of tablets with the, with the Ten Commandments engraved in them were in there. Along with that, there was some manna that fell in the wilderness. And one other thing, Aaron's rod that budded, um, if you remember that story. We preached on that a while ago. They were all inside there. But each one of those things is indicative. Yes, you can say, well, it's indicative of the power of the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But in reality... We make those things about us. And so we turn this ark into a chest that's for us. It's a goodie bag. It's a bag of magic tricks that, that help us with the law. If you're somebody that thrives because of law and you, and you resort back to rules and black and white, the Ten Commandments, that's all I need. I can do everything I need to do with just uh, something engraved in stone. Or you're somebody, and it's all about provision, and it's that manna symbolizing what God can do and how he can supernaturally provide for you because of your faith in the wilderness places. Or if you're somebody, and all you need to to thrive in is authority. Aaron's rod coming to life, and the life that blossoms, the fruit that comes from that authority being stewarded effectively by a man of God. That's all I need, as long as I'm just following somebody who has the rod. That becomes, that we reduce the ark down to this, this fact. But in reality, more than what it contained, the ark was a throne. The ark was a throne. Can you switch to that second picture? This is actually what the ark looked like. The subtle difference here is the orientation of the poles of acacia wood overladen with gold. You can go back to Indiana's. See how the poles are on the long sides? Zach, that doesn't matter. It does if you're the king sitting on it because you're going to be facing sideways as you're carried everywhere. As I was doing research for this, I found thrones that were carried around in ancient times, and none of them are oriented this way. They're all oriented the other way because the width of a chair would be on that thing. And a king would literally, you can go to the other one, the right one. And, and, and it, what we're told is that his presence, this was literally, the mercy seat was literally the seat of God. And while oftentimes we sing about it in songs and poetically refer to it as his footstool, in Scripture, um, there, are, there are sort of allusions to this idea of a footstool and, and uh, his resting place and things like that. But really, he was seated there where the cherubim are, not on the throne, but in that space. His glory would come and rest there. And so it's important that we understand this thing, how God first wanted to present himself to his people as one who sits on a throne that they would carry. So start getting that image in your head. In fact, we're just going to leave that up there for a little while. Now, I'm going to read this to you. They shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. A cubit is like 20.5 inches. So it's just around five feet long. And one at four feet long, rather, four feet long. And one and a half, I went to Bible school, sorry. And one and a half cubits wide 
and one and a half, about 30 inches, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. Verse 12 says, you shall cast four rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. Can you go back to Indiana's Ark? Hollywood's Ark? America's Ark? Note where the poles are. Not attached to the feet. They're attached to the sides. What does that mean? Why does that make a difference? That just looks like somebody's not going to throw their back out trying to pick it up, Zach. Like, what's the big deal? The big deal is when the poles are in the middle or towards the top, as many of those arcs project, when you pick it up, the seat is at your seat level. And everything happens at your level. Can you go back to the right arc? We actually obtained this. This is the actual arc. It was found, and we actually have it here on site, but we... Uh, <laughs> We don't want it shown. It's actually behind this curtain, but we just want to keep it there for now. The point is, when the poles are at the bottom, when they're attached to the feet the way the Lord says, when you pick that thing up, it's way above you. It's, it's like two feet above you. And whoever's seated on that throne is way above you. And there's no mistaking in a crowd, even from the tall people, who the king is because of how he's carried there's another thing to be noted here it says and the two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it and you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them verse 15 says the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark they shall not be removed from it you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. Now, one thing I love about the ark is that it cannot be carried by one person. We need to learn something about the Father today. It cannot be carried by one person. It wasn't meant to be carried by one person. It wasn't even meant to be carried by two people. How many of you believe that the Lord is just as intentional about what he leaves out as he is about what he puts in? If you've taken Pastor John's class on the tabernacle, then you know that the, the bath, the sea, uh, that was part of the furniture out in front of the temple um, was, was never given, we were never given dimensions of it. It was huge. It was vast. And it was kind of like an infinity pool. And you know why? Because there's no limit to what God can wash off of you. There's no limit to it. So God was intentional about leaving off the circumference of that basin. You know what else we don't have any limits on? Is how long those poles were. We don't know. God didn't say. He said just make poles long enough that enough people can carry the weight of my glory. If you're writing things down, you can make sure to get this. The no exact dimension of poles means that there is no limit to who carries the presence of God. Some of y'all need to like sear that one into that old religious thing, okay? That there is no limit to how many can carry his presence. Rings at the bottom, like I said, it puts the throne above us. <clears throat> I know that we're more comfortable 
with the idea of a chest because it holds stuff for us. And I know that we're more comfortable um, with, uh, uh, even if it is a throne, we're more comfortable with a throne that we can hold, uh, you know, a little bit lower. This church um, has struggled with the idea of authority and honor um, the idea of honor came to us uncomfortably because of how many wounds there are in the past. Many uh, of the folks who started this church together, um, we had all been burned by church leaders. And so we felt more comfortable by the, with the idea of keeping authority down at our level, where it wasn't something that we had to answer to or be held accountable by. But that, well, we all carry the spirit of God, so, you know, uh, authority doesn't matter as much. And to be honest with you, it was, it was a disservice to us, and it was something that the Lord had to straighten out in us over years, and he's still doing it. And the Lord brought prophets to us and brought uh, men and women of God and words um, from heaven to, to help convict us about the way that we had been, that I had been sort of holding the idea of authority at arm's length. And I thank him that by his grace and by his mercy, we've been able to come to this idea. But in the same light, because of that, what, however we're handling authority on earth will be how we handle it in heavenly things. And so it's important that we're able to move those rings down to the feet of how we carry the presence of God. It's important that when we carry him, that he is the one that's seen first as we break the horizon, that he is the one who's seen from a distance, that he is the one that, that, that um, leads us, not the other way around. And finally, and I got to go quick here. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed. I love that. Don't take the poles out. Don't take the poles out. He never wanted to be separated from us, saints. He never wanted to be separated from the ones who carry him. Amen? Now, turn with me really quickly to 1 Kings, okay? We're going to be in chapter 8, and now we're going to get to the message. Just kidding. There's really only one point here, maybe two and a half. Verse eight, chapter eight. All right, so we're gonna, verse eight, I'm sorry, chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse six uh, of First Kings. And if you're not familiar with where we are in scripture right now, David made this covenant with the Lord, or really he made a covenant with David. And the covenant was that uh, you're gonna get to build a house for me because that's on your heart to do. But uh, it's not gonna be you who builds it. You can stockpile all the resources. You can get all the building materials on site, but it'll be your son Solomon who actually builds it. So David comes and goes, draws up the blueprints, everything else. Um, but following his death, Solomon begins this incredible work of building one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple. And the temple in Jerusalem was this magnificent thing that, uh, that during Solomon's reign, people came from all around the known world to see it and to hear his wisdom. And, and in this temple sat the ark. But after he builds it, in between, so all the utensils, all the other furniture has been brought in. The last thing to be brought in is the Ark of the Covenant. And then uh, he addresses the people, and there's a prayer of dedication. And then we've preached on this before. The glory of God comes and fills the temple, and it's crazy. But I just want to bring you to this one little passage where the Ark is brought in. Verse 6 says, Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, right? The Holy of Holies, some of your Bibles will say 
under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. But watch this. But the poles were so long. We don't, we don't know of any other poles ever being made. These were the same poles, okay? The same poles that we don't know the dimensions of, the same poles that were made um, all the way back when Moses uh, got this whole party started out in, uh, uh, on the mountain. But the poles were so long that the ends could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. I love this line. They're there to this day. Now, Finn and I were talking about what that line means, you know, and uh, scripturally, it means that they were there at the time the book was being written, but prophetically, I believe it means that the idea of those poles are still just as intact of a part of the presence of God. But what I want to focus in on for just the next couple minutes before I let you go is this idea that the poles were sticking out past the curtain. Now, you know, anybody who is, you know, an engineer in here, you, you're going to say, well, they just made a mistake. Clearly, it was one of those deals where they just put the wall in the wrong place, and so they had to, like, kind of cut out above it. Has anybody ever eaten at Hope Diner in um, Bristol? If you've ever used the bathroom there, then you know that they had to cut a hole out of the door to fit around the toilet. <laughs> and uh, I think it was pretty smart. Grandfathered in. Uh, so if, you know, in order for the... Anyway. Can you put that picture up, please? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, but the, the, the idea is, well, they just made a mistake. They put the thing in the wrong place, and so, you know, the pole, someone didn't account for the length of the poles. I'm just going to remind you that Solomon, the one who built the temple, was the smartest man who ever lived. The smartest person who ever lived who I think was incapable of a simple architectural design flaw. Now, I did a lot of research, and there are guys out there who say, well, he didn't account for the angels. He had these giant gold cherubim in the Holy of Holies, which they didn't have in the tabernacle as it was carried around. And because the angels were there, uh, then it pushed everything forward a little bit. And so, you know, they just ended up, the curtain and the thing just kind of came out under the bottom so the door could close around the toilet. And, and so... But, but the, the, the problem that I have with this is that I don't think this was an accident. I don't think it was a mistake. I have to believe that that curtain was meant to fall exactly where it was so that those poles, the tripping hazard that they would have been in a dimly lit room, stuck right out past them. So just for a minute, indulge this. He says they could be seen from the holy place, which is the, the room right outside the Holy of Holies, the room where the table of showbread and the, and the lamp stand with the oil and the uh, not candles. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and this area would be where the other priests were allowed to come in. While the ark rested in that holy place, the poles could be seen from outside in that sanctuary. But it says they couldn't be seen beyond that. 
So let's start there and work backwards. What does it mean that they couldn't be seen from the outside? The irony here is that it's usually the opposite for Christians. What we want our faith to look like, we want it to be seen from a distance. We want to externally, the ones who are far away, to see faith on us. And so literally, we have adorned ourselves. If you're a marked man in here, do you have a piece of, anybody in here wearing a marked man shirt right now? Yeah, I know there's a couple of us here. All right. Uh, Necklaces, any marked men emblems, any Okay, I see hands all over this room. Um, We love to adorn ourselves. Why? Because it's a statement. It's an external statement of who we are. The problem is, is that oftentimes we'll put on the external statement and ignore the internal one. And so for years, Christians have been notorious for this. I think Mark Men do a really phenomenal job of actually uh, putting on the outside what really exists and brings life inside. So I'm sorry for picking on you for a second. But I, I want to I point out when I was in fifth grade, I, my mom went to something and brought me back this olive wood cross necklace. And it was way too big. You know, it was like one of these like people were calling me fryer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think they were speaking prophetically over my life. You know what I'm saying? I literally pray, played Friar Lawrence and Romeo and Juliet too, so it all worked together. But I remember Mrs. James, who was this middle-aged black woman who smoked cigars, and she was my fifth grade teacher. And she pulled me up to her desk one day. I remember it so clearly. And she said, Zachary? She points to that cross with her chubby finger right on my chest. She points to says, do you know what that means? Shoot. That pole was so evident from the outside. Y'all know what I'm about. Mm. Do you know what that means? To wear a cross, what it says, the statement that it makes. Oh, we're so quick. We've got them tattooed all over us, don't we? On our mantles and walls. On our bulletin board at work. There's something making the statement. But inside, it's not visible. I remember as a, as a teenager, I played in a Christian band, traveled around. I'm almost done. Uh, I pl- traveled around the southeastern part of the United States, and I loved that we would get somewhere, we'd pull into a town, pull into a venue, We'd unload the trailer, set everything up, play a show, pack it all up, and the bus pulled out of the parking lot before anybody could know what was wrong with me. Before anybody could know the weaknesses and the frailties with how I carried the presence. I was fine as long as people knew me from a distance. And I remember the very first, when I got a job offer, Pastor Ron Squibb called me in June of 2006 and offered me a job uh, to come to South Attleboro and to, uh, and to lead worship. And I remember the biggest dilemma that I had in taking that job was, was this, people are gonna know me. I'm not gonna be able to pack my crap up and, and leave. Because even into college, when after I left the band, I'm in Bible school, there was still, let me hold it all at arm's length. 
There was still a reluctance to, so that I only wanted people to see how, how I wanted them to see me carry the presence with the ways that I was good at it, not the places where I was still stumbling and still struggling, still tripping. But I took that job and then I ended up in this one. And now you guys know, if you've sat in these services for more than you know, five minutes, you know what my struggles are. Somebody gave me a microphone and then it's like, they're all out there now. And, uh, and my wife sometimes challenges me, Zach, can there be anything private in our lives or do you just, is it all just sort of like out there? And uh, so we're working that out right now. But <clears throat> everything that we project from ourselves, that's part of why I harp on social media so much. It's not just T-shirts and stickers and flair and cross necklaces anymore. It's, it's, it's what we're feeding the world about ourselves. And so often it's a line. We're feeding them a line. Verse of the day with an inspirational picture behind it. We've got pictures of church and clips and we've got, oh, we're going on this retreat and oh, look how good this conference was. And, and, and we, we want people to know that our Bibles are open and that we have a co- cup of coffee sitting next to it and that, you know, we, we spend time meditating in the word. But what's crazy to me is that it was more important to the Father that the way we carry the presence of God be evident to the ones who were closest, to the priesthood, that gets the inside scoop. Now it's gonna get real. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? I believe that this will be a year when the Lord turns our attention outward. I believe this will be a year when we, uh, when we are burdened to go out and, and influence the world, to be the light, to be the church. I believe that 2023 will mark some incredibly, vastly more fruitful evangelistic efforts um, than all the ways that we used to do it. There is a new way. But before we can engage in that, before we can embark on that, saints, the challenge is how are we dealing with ourselves? How are we dealing with each other? This was not about the rest of the world. In fact, this wasn't even about the fringe of Israel. This was about the priesthood. The priesthood. And today, this message today, it is about the priesthood of believers. And really how real we are with each other. I want to be honest with you. The presence of God does not just follow me around because he's so like uber excited about everything I'm doing, saying and thinking. no I have to carry him and if you get close enough to me you're going to see the hand marks in it you're going to see that this is not something that is not touched by flesh no there's flesh all over it flesh that I'm still trying to crucify things I still mess up things that maybe when they were first made That gold gleamed and reflected the light of the glory of God off of it, but I've kind of worn the finish off a little bit in a couple places. There's some things about me that aren't as shiny as they used to be. And saints, the Lord is calling us to a place of vulnerability and reality, and you just hear the word vulnerable, and some of y'all are like, I gotta go. I gotta gotta go. I I can't. 
I remember, I remember uh, I was teaching a class at a previous church that I worked at. <laughs> Be unnamed. But I was teaching a class and and in it, we were talking about, I don't even remember how it came up, but we were talking about struggles and issues. And of course, everyone is doing the safe, sterile thing. Let's talk about it like it's somebody else's issue. And I, teaching the class said, I have struggled with pornography and lust for like a lot of my life. This has just been a thing I was overexposed to as a kid. And it's something that has been like uh, just a vice the enemy uses to to get me back in a shame cycle, to get me struggling, to, to get me, uh, you know, doubting the call of God. And I said that, and it was like pin drop in the room. You know what I'm saying? Just like crickets chirping. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm the only person here. Yeah, okay. And uh, it's fine. I didn't care. I didn't need other people to support me in it. I just want to be real because of what we were talking about. To use it as an example. And what was crazy was it came back to me from multiple people in leadership, Zach, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. You compromise the integrity of your ability to lead these people. But then I think about the weakest moments of Jesus's life. He may not have had a porn addiction But there were places where he was hungry. There were times when he was tempted. There were moments when he begged and pleaded with the father to take something from him that could not and would not be taken from him. And guess what? Those things are recorded for the purpose of leading us. Saints, if we're gonna be the church that he's coming back for, part of this whole spiritual family thing and coming into these smaller circles it's so we can be real with each other it's so people can see the poles sticking out from under your curtain well as long as i get in that holy of holies with the lord you know all my stuff is just between me and him confess your sins one to another confess your sins i people come people show up to my house to confess sins to me. I'm not kidding. I'm like, how did you know where I live? <laughs> Is there anybody else you can tell? Somebody who doesn't have the same issue. <laughs> People make appointments to come in and sit with me. And I don't know if it's old school Catholic stuff carried over. And I want you to know I have no problem. I have no issue hearing what you struggle with, but my heart breaks that you had to wait three weeks before Haley could get you in to see me. If we were really part of a spiritual family, if we were really part of a priesthood, then we would know how we're carrying the presence, that we would know the wear marks. We would know the fingerprints. We would smell the sweat. And we'd hold each other up in it. Hey, it looks like you're getting a little weak on one side. You know that thing wasn't meant to be carried by one person, right? Hey, you're limping. 
you know that pole's long enough for me to get in there too, right? Can I carry that thing with you? Can I walk with you? Can we carry the presence together? Can we be the priesthood together? Can we see each other's stuff? The pole was the unholy part. And the Lord said, never take it out. The pole was the part that, yeah, the priests were consecrated and the whole thing was holy. And don't get me wrong on that. But the pole was the part that made contact with human flesh. And there, there, there is a part of this today that makes contact with us. The Lord isn't looking at you and looking at what you struggle with and what you trip over. He's not looking at, at the thoughts that are still an issue in your mind and saying, well, those parts, I'm not gonna have anything to do with those parts. That's the parts he died for. He wants everything to do with those parts. They'll never be redeemed. They'll never be renewed. They'll never be taken captive. Unless we get real about it. And so saints, please do not go out there and think we're going to evangelize New England and bring them into one more church that lies about who we really are. I don't even want anybody else in here. We may as well close the place down and give them all back to Swansea. (laughs) Somebody was like, amen. We need a bath pro. That's an inside joke. We don't need another church that fakes it. We don't need another whitewashed sepulcher. We don't need another chest full of all the stuff we get out of the deal. What we need is the presence of God, a holy, a sovereign, a righteous, an unfailing God carried by human hands, real hands, sometimes dirty hands, but hands that are held up before the Lord to say, Lord, can you do it again? Wash me. Father, can you do it again? Can you do it again? Can you wash us? Lord, wash us of the religion, wash us of the shame, wash us of the fear that if anybody sees our weaknesses, Lord, that we're done for. God, I pray as we begin to engage with each other in in an unprecedented way as a church, as we, as over these next weeks and months, as we start to group into smaller groups and homes and living rooms and, and families, God, I pray that real conversations would happen in driveways, God, would happen in front yards. Lord, I pray as the weather warms up, that we would warm up to each other. Lord, that we would, that we would take a year and really get invested in each each other's lives, Lord, to see how each other is carrying your presence and where each other needs help, to see, Lord, what's dragging and what's lacking and what's limping along, Lord, because we, we want to be the bride, Lord, that you're coming back for without spot or wrinkle. And so, God, I pray, Father, that somebody else would see my blind spots, Lord, that somebody else would have an eye on the things that I can't see, Lord, and that together we would be the stature that you're looking for. We would be the unity that you're looking for. We would be the bride that you're coming back for, the one you're worthy of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, sorry I kept you long. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. We'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.